like Christine said, with the mock interviews, we've actually been doing mock recorded interviews where the student will do a recorded interview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this program. Well, today we have a unique episode for you in that we have two guests on this show. And while we're going to talk about their accounting careers, we're going to approach the accounting career discussion from a little different angle. For this show, we had Kent Klaus, a professor at DePaul University, and Christine Landall from George Mason University join us. And although we cover some of their initial careers, because they've actually had very accomplished careers in accounting as well, we spend more of our time in this episode talking about the different programs their institutions have started in order to help their graduates and their soon-to-be graduates get their careers jump-started. Given the current state of the economy, our pandemic times, so to speak, it seemed like this would be a good topic to cover, a very timely topic. I think you're going to find the programs both DePaul and George Mason have in place for their accounting majors very progressive. And I guess what I'm really hoping is that you come away from this episode with a few ideas for your own career, or if you happen to be in academia yourself, maybe a few ideas for your own institution. I will say we did have a couple connection problems throughout the podcast, but we were able to clean that up pretty well. So if there's a word or two you miss, I apologize. But I have to tell you, this is some really strong content. I'm very thankful that both of them were able to join us for the recording. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please share it on social media. I know I've been mentioning that a lot recently. We get a lot of positive feedback on the show, particularly from accountants, you know, just getting started in their careers. But it doesn't help anyone unless they know about it, of course. So any sharing you happen to feel compelled to do is greatly appreciated. And as we're coming into the new college semesters here shortly, we're going to see a lot more virtual meetings for obvious reasons. If there's anything I can do for you in your accounting clubs or your accounting classes or any accounting related associations, please let me know. I'm happy to be a guest speaker on a virtual basis basically anywhere. Just shoot me an email or a LinkedIn message and I'm sure we can arrange something. I'm happy to help. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's two special guests, Kent Klaus and Christine Landall. Well, hello, Christine and Kent. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Yes, thank you, Mark. Thanks for inviting us. No problem. No problem. This will be fun for everybody. Well, for the audience, this will be a slightly unusual show for us. We've had two guests on the program at the same time before, but it's been months, if not maybe over a year, actually, since we've had a situation where that was appropriate. Today, we have two exceptional university faculty members with us, Kent Klaus from DePaul University and Christine Landall from George Mason. And yes, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know we've had several accountants, actually, that eventually moved their careers into academia. But today's show is going to be a little different, possibly a lot different. I invited both our guests today on the program because of the additional efforts that they're putting into helping their students get their careers started. And given the whole current economic situation and the effect it's had on internships and really employment in general, I thought it would be a great time 
for this show. Hopefully you can get some ideas for yourself or if you happen to be one of our listeners in academia, maybe you can pick up a few new ideas for your institution as well. Well, Kent and Christine, I I think it's only appropriate to start by talking about your own careers, if you don't mind, prior to becoming instructors because our audience will want to know about that also. Give us a summary just for a few minutes about your own career background. How did you choose accounting as a profession and then what was your career like prior to becoming an instructor. Christine, do you want to start with that? That would be great, sure. So my career path is kind of interesting. I actually got into counting because my mom, I had always wanted to be a teacher, and my mom, who was a nurse and all her sisters were either nurses or teachers, said, I want you to have a job that isn't a typical female job. And this was in the mid-80s where gender differences and stuff we're talked about, but the nice thing is they're talked about a lot now. And I said, well, that sounds interesting. And I loved the numbers. And so I decided to go the accounting route. And I thought that would be a good choice. I still think it was a phenomenal choice from the perspective of accounting is a foundational skill that everybody needs in business and everybody, regardless of what you do, whether you're in the arts or whether you're in industry, you're going to touch business issues. And so being an accountant seemed to be a very practical route to go. So I went straight from college and doing accounting into Deloitte, which was one of, at that time, the big eight accounting firms in the country. And it reinforced in my mind the importance of networking in class. So in my class in, at university at George Mason, because I was actually attended George Mason as undergrad and also got my master's there. In my class, I had folks from Deloitte. So immediately I knew Deloitte was a company that was very focused on education and development of people because I could see it kind of in action. And they kept saying, come in and interview, come in and interview. We've got jobs and opportunities. So you never know in your class who's sitting next to you and, and how they can help you in your career. So, you know, that's point number one. So I did. I said, yep, I'll give it a try. Obviously, from an accounting perspective, Deloitte was an awesome organization to be in. And I started at Deloitte in 1990, so quite a few years ago. And I did corporate and partnership tax work. I got a chance to see a lot of variety. And I was intending to stay for two years, get my degree requirements for my CPA license, and then was going to move on. And 27 years later, and four different basic roles within the firm, I stayed my whole career and absolutely loved it. I had a chance to travel around the country, around the world. I visited about 15 different countries with my job, had the opportunity to do management development programs, which got me into the learning and development and talent space. So had an ability under the same umbrella organization to try a lot of different paths, which really reinforced all of the tentacles that you can take and do with accounting. So it was a perfect fit, as people said, and and it was interesting how you know, as I navigated my, my career in doing corporate tax, individual tax, I got to do some global work from a leadership perspective and then got into global mobility, which is where I met Kent. So it's really interesting how small the world is, how people can take different paths and, and end up kind of at the same place. So in 2017, just three years ago, I retired from Deloitte and began teaching at George Mason University. It's about 15 minutes from my house, so it was a great place to start teaching, and it has been a phenomenal kind of transition. 
I actually don't teach accounting. I teach professional skills. And I think those skills are the skills that can certainly distinguish you in a career. So it is a fun um, challenge to really work with students and to talk about the importance of not only your technical skills that you need, your accounting, your management, et cetera, but also those foundational skills that are outside of, you know, your technical area that are needed as well. So that was my career journey in a nutshell. Kent, do you want to fill in what you did? Yeah, no, it sounds like our paths were very similar, not just at the end when we met each other, but in some of the decisions that you made as well. So I, similar to your beginning, I'm a graduate of DePaul University, and I went to DePaul thinking that I would get an undergraduate degree and then go on for a professional degree, perhaps go to law school. And so when I was investigating appropriate undergraduate majors, I met with somebody at DePaul and, and we went through kind of some of the things that I like and I enjoy problem solving and I wanted something in the business world as my undergraduate degree. So they had suggested accounting. And, and so I started to pursue the accounting major again with the idea that I would graduate from DePaul and then go on and get a professional degree after that. But lo and behold, as I started taking classes, accounting classes, and started to see opportunities come up for work in the accounting industry while I was still attending school, I actually was successful in going to work in my sophomore year for a small CPA firm in downtown Chicago, and then in my junior year for a medium-sized accounting firm also based in Chicago. And in both cases, because DePaul was a urban university, I could work there not just during the summer, but also could work after classes and during my spring and winter breaks. And so the more time I spent actually working in the accounting, public accounting business, the more I enjoyed it. I was getting a chance to meet clients. I was put in position sometimes where I was on my own, and that could be another 10-minute story alone. But I was put in positions where not only was I doing problem solving, but I was actually experiencing what it meant to be in the accounting industry, and I was enjoying it. I mean, I just loved the work that they were exposing me to. It was both audit and tax work. And so as I started to, to get close to my graduation from DePaul, I decided to put aside my plans for a law degree and started to go through the recruiting process for a full-time accounting role. And at the time, Arthur Anderson was a big public accounting firm here in Chicago, and I was successful in landing a full-time position with Arthur Anderson at the beginning of my career in accounting. And I stayed there for 20 plus years. And then when Anderson closed its doors, we were in a position where we were able to look at the practice I was in and actually look for a new firm to kind of absorb the practice. And Deloitte was the ideal candidate for us. And uh, so we picked up our practice here in, in Chicago from Anderson's offices and moved them lock, stock and barrel to Deloitte's offices down the street. And I continued my career at Deloitte until last summer when I retired to become a full-time instructor at DePaul University, my alma mater. So the part where I switched into teaching didn't come just at that point. I actually, as a manager at Arthur Anderson, I worked for a partner who was an adjunct professor at DePaul. And from time to time, he would invite me to take over one of his classes because he had business travel that came up. And so I had some early exposure to the classroom in that way. It was usually at most maybe one class a quarter that he asked me to fill in for him. And 
while I was nervous at first getting up and trying to fill a three-hour lecture with things that I was supposed to know, it became easier the more I did it. And the interaction with the students was just a lot of fun. And I expressed to DePaul at that point that if there was an opportunity to have a class on my own as an adjunct, I'd be, I'd be delighted to do that. And about three years after that first opportunity, one of their principals of accounting classes that they taught at night had a last minute professor cancellation. So they invited me to to actually take over the entire class for them. And I did that. And then I helped with some special topics classes along the way. So I, over the course of my 35 plus years, I was able to go in and out of the classroom as an adjunct pretty frequently during that period. And so as I neared retirement, I let DePaul know that I'd love to join their full-time ranks if an opportunity presented itself. And, and lo and behold, that happened. And so for me, it was a easy transition because it had been something I was doing before on a part-time basis, but also because I was doing something that was allowing me to share all of the stories that I collected over the course of my career with students that were just beginning their career and hopefully through that process, give them some insight that they might not otherwise have a chance to be exposed to. So long and short of it, it was a much more natural and easy process than I would have ever imagined. And for me, it was just a great way to pivot my career at a point when maybe for others, it might not have been as clear. Wow. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's interesting with both of you because I don't see people that spend 20 plus years at the same organization too frequently anymore. So <laughs> that's... um Wow, that is unique. And it's interesting that both of you spent a long period of time at the same place. That's, hmm. And actually, I guess, Kent, with you, you the practice being absorbed, it, it really was the same book of business, so to speak. So interesting, interesting stuff. Well, I know both of you go out of your way to help students get their career started. And I guess what I mean by that is you do more than just teach a business course. And that's why I wanted to record this. And like I mentioned earlier, I really am hoping that maybe some other university professors will get some ideas out of this. Tell us about, I guess, the programs you're involved in at your respective schools and how you're helping students with their careers or in getting them started outside of simply teaching them the technical piece. I guess, Christine, we <laughs> maybe we should go back to you with this one. What are you doing sure. in that regard? Yeah, so a couple of kind of approaches come to mind. Naturally, because I came from business, the focus on business is always front of mind. And George Mason has a great approach of focusing on access to excellence and really making sure that we're trying to get as much out of the individual as we can. A lot of our students are first-generation college students. They are students who I think 40% are Pell Grant recipients, and so the population is one that has a lot of potential and really needs to have somebody at times kind of put a mirror up to them and show them their potential. So one of the areas that we teach, which is professional skills, and in that, it is something that we really focus on not just doing your resumes and cover letters, because we certainly cover that in the class, but how that re resume and cover letter can be strategic for them to getting a job and how they can set themselves apart by tailoring their resume and their cover letter and all of that. 
We talk about networking and the importance of that. We talk about relationship building, negotiation, persuasion, all of those kind of skills. We talk about interviewing skills. And when we get into that module, I actually have friends of mine from the practice in the business world come in and do mock interviewing. And I think that that is, is transformational. It's funny, after spending 27 years at Deloitte and then coming in and teaching, I'm still seen as their teacher. So they want to know what's happening in the real world. And to Kent's point, all the stories that I've had over 27 years are somehow filtered as stories from a professor. So I love to bring in external folks to make sure the students hear what's happening today in the business world and they they can get that perspective. And I found that to be incredibly helpful with regards to really translating the work world for them. We also have advisory councils throughout the School of Business. We have, I think, about 10 across the School of Business that are business professionals to tell us what's happening in the business world and give us a sense of where we may need to add information into our curriculum and that type of thing. Obviously, technology is constantly changing. So are we doing everything we can to keep up with the latest technologies and all of that? So I think that leveraging the business voice into your classroom, into what you're doing is hugely important. And that's something you know I try to do in, in my class and we try to do throughout the university. The other thing that we're really pushing, and I know Kent has done this as well, is mentorship. So we have a program that we launched over the last year called Mason Mentors, and we, again, work with folks in the business community, and we have our students go through and select mentors that are going to be able to answer an immediate question they may have, what we call flash mentoring, you know, something just really quick, what do I do in this circumstance or situation, and they're able to go into our platform and select people who they can reach out to and speak to, and also if they want to do a more strategic, more lengthy mentorship program. And that is something that, again, has really provided access to excellent professionals out there for our students to learn from and to grow and to develop. Having that outside guidance is really important and things that have been successful. So those are a couple of things that come immediate to mind, and then I'll let Kent go. Yeah, so Christine did touch on a few points that are very similar between George Mason and DePaul. DePaul, as I mentioned before, is largely an urban university. It has two campuses. It has a campus in downtown Chicago, which houses the business school, the law school, and several other programs. And then it has a campus that is about three miles outside of the downtown area that houses the other areas of discipline. Because of the School of Accountancy being one of the largest programs in the business school, I think we graduate between 300 and 400 accounting students a year at last count. The school made the decision about six or seven years ago to design a career career course specifically for accounting students. So like what Christine mentioned in terms of what they're doing for their business students, we approach the area in the same fashion. And actually, when I returned to teaching again as an adjunct, that was one of the first classes that I took on was becoming one of the instructors for this career class. It's called Career Strategies for Accounting Majors. DePaul is on a 10-week quarter. And so over the course of the 10 weeks, each week will cover something 
that will help the student move their career plans forward. So one week we'll deal with their resume, one week we'll deal with their presentation skills, one week with their writing skills, business professional writing, one week with their LinkedIn profile, one week with their interview skills, and so on. So over the course of the 10 weeks, there's a building block each week that's designed to help them with their kind of fashion, their career strategy. And then at the end of the 10-week period, they're asked to design a career plan that has some short-term and long-term goals associated with it, things that they're going to do right away to improve their career skills and presentation and things that they'll do over the course of the next couple of years. And as Christine mentioned, kind of a key part of this is that at the beginning of that course, each student in the class is connected with an external mentor, somebody who has raised their hand in the professional community to meet and spend time with each of these students. And so over the course of that 10 weeks, outside of these topics that we're covering, they'll have a chance to meet with their mentor. We've given them some prompts to deal with in terms of some areas to probe with the mentor about their careers. And then at the end of the 10-week period, they're asked to uh, put together a reflection paper sharing with both myself or the other instructors what they learned from their mentor experience and also sharing with the mentor what they've learned. So in our view, it's kind of a thank you to the mentor for spending time with the student over the course of the 10 weeks to then get this reflection paper back, which shows the mentor all the things that the student learned from this experience. And all of the mentors that have been part of this program have not only raised their hand to help the student over the course of the quarter, but also to stay involved with the students even as they move on to the next courses in the curriculum or actually out into the workforce to remain in touch. And many of the students have done that, have continued to use that mentoring relationship as a sounding board for the decisions that they make after the class is completed. So that's one big piece of what I've been involved in is helping to not only deliver the content associated with that course, but also to be part of its evolution over the last five years as we try to figure out different ways to help the students launch their careers when they graduate. The other piece is, again, because the School of Accountancy is such a big part of the business school, two years ago, we launched what we call the Office of Student Success and Engagement, which sits in the School of Accountancy and provides opportunities, not just for the students who are in this particular course, but for all accounting students to meet with professionals at different events that we hold, different panels that we have. And we've also, as part of that, have what we call an executive in residence program, where over the course of the academic year, a professional from accounting, whether it's public accounting, industry, nonprofit, government, will come in and spend the day. We have an office that we provide them, and they'll work Technically, they'll work their job at DePaul, but they make themselves available if students want to walk in and talk to them about their positions and what they're doing. They can do that. They can come in and have a one-on-one conversation with that person, or if they want to come with their friends, they can come two and three at a time. But the idea is that they actually, instead of meeting just with recruiters from these different organizations, they're meeting with people that actually work in these firms and companies and have a chance to understand a little bit more about what they do and how they ended up doing what they do. So that's been kind of cool to see that roll out. And over the last year through the office, we've had additional technology training and things that we think will be helpful for the students to round out their skills as they prepare for that internship or prepare for that full-time job. 
That's interesting. This executive in residence program, how many different executives do you rotate through there on a semester basis or annual basis? How often are they switching out? So it's probably a little bit of an overreach by saying it's in residence because they literally, they most don't often just come for the day, right? And so you might have a public accounting firm send a tax person for the day in week one of the quarter, and that same public accounting firm might send an audit person for a day later in the quarter. So over the course of a, of a 10-week quarter, we tend to have two or three different executives in residence during the week. And so the students can either just stop by and see who's in that day if they choose to do that, or they can go. We have a career platform where they can go and see the schedule of who's coming when and actually sign up for a time slot if they choose to do that. But again, the goal is to have people that are actually doing different things at these organizations in residence so that when the student comes by, the person can actually talk about what exactly it is that they do, if that makes sense. Yes. No, I love the availability of it. I guess encouraging some planning on the student's part has value as well, but there's a lot of value just knowing that someone is there <laughs> most of the time. And that's, that is interesting. That is interesting that you touch a lot of students that way. Kent, how many of the, I guess, accounting graduates go through this career course? Is it a mandatory thing or like what person? Well, yeah, when it was first launched, it was launched as an elective there was such good feedback from the students that were taking the class in terms of the value they were getting from it that they then, about a year after they first launched the class, they then made it a required class. So now every accounting student, whether you're coming as a freshman or you transfer in later on, you're required in order to graduate with an accounting degree, you're required to take this class. Beautiful. Okay. And it's interesting, Mark, because our professional skills class, which is fairly similar to Kent's class, it is required as well for school of business students. But we have about 25% of our enrollment come from outside the school of business, from the School of College of Engineering and different programs, because they see such great value in learning those non-technical skills to be successful kind of in their chosen industry. Interesting. And actually, I want to ask you both this. I mean, Christine, you first, I guess. I'm curious with the mentorship program, how many of those mentors end up being from the organization that the student goes to work for? I guess, how many of those mentors end up becoming the employer? You know, maybe not them individually, but <laughs> but the organization. Yeah, it's interesting. So we had just launched this. So it's, it's just in the infancy stages. And I wouldn't say that there's been converted jobs at this point in time, but we're hoping that that's something that naturally will come from that, just given the connections with the individuals and stuff like that. So too soon to tell, but I'd be happy to come back and let you know. <laughs> okay. How about you, Ken? Is it a newer yeah, program? Yeah, that's a great question. Because it's a required class and we let the students take it, any, basically the, the student can take it any time from the minute they declare their major as accounting, which could be as early as the spring of their freshman year, but typically is the fall of their sophomore year. So from the moment they declare their major as, as accounting until they graduate, they can take this course any time over that two to three year period. And so with the older students, the students that are in their senior year or late in their junior year when they take the class, many of them have gotten to a point where they're more or less settled on where they're going to go. And so 
what they're learning from the class at that point is how to advance in their careers and how to, in some cases, if they have an internship, how to get the most out of their internship. So the, the class for them becomes more about career success than career launching. And for the younger students who are still, they may actually be in a position where those mentor relationships could lead to an opportunity because they're just starting to scratch the surface of where their career may be headed. So as a result, I mean, long answer to your question, as a result, we're not necessarily tracking whether these mentorships end up creating specific job opportunities or not. What we're tracking is whether graduates end up getting a job in their field or not, which as a result of this class, it's clear that there's been improvement in that regard. Okay. Well, honestly, I think that's better because there's a lot of value in having a mentor separate from your internship. And so actually, I think if you focused on it too much, you'd end up turning the mentor program into an internship program, which you probably don't want to do. So, And clearly, I mean, anecdotally, I I was reflecting on with the spring quarter, we went online for our, our course delivery. And as a result, I was meeting with a number of my students through Zoom calls and so forth. And I had a student in one of my tax classes who I was talking to and was graduating. She graduated in June. And so we set up the Zoom call. And one of the things we talked about is what she was going to do after she graduated. And she told me where she was going to work. And I said, how did you get that job? And she pointed at me on the Zoom camera. It's because of that mentor you assigned me when I was in your career class. (laughs) So certainly anecdotally, there's those stories just are heartwarming because you know that was part of that success for that student, but we're not actually measuring it from a statistical standpoint. Okay. Okay. I'm curious, Christine, are there any heartwarming or little success stories that stick out in your mind so far? Yeah, no. So it's interesting. I would say, because I teach both a, a 100 level and a 300 level, the courses in the 100 level is more kind of introspection. So who are you as a person and validating where you're going from a major perspective and stuff. And then the 303 level is more of an inter where you're focusing on how you interface with companies and businesses and stuff. So I've had some students that have gone through both with me, which I always try to encourage them to take another professor because I'm like, you're going to hear some of my same stories. But what I have really enjoyed is where I have students where you, you know, they start out and they've been more reserved at the start or shy or less engaged in the topic or even think that they don't need the topics. And then you see them grow and develop as a professional and, and a thriving professional at the end. I had one student who was in both of my classes and we periodically touch base and he was telling me about the angst he had in creating an elevator speech for the class and it's one of those things I have them practice with their mock interviews and that type of thing and how that exercise wasn't as fun for him but he actually was in the elevator at his internship with the CIO and he is a guy who's focused on accounting related technology and he said, I was so confident to have a conversation, give my elevator pitch to the CIO. And he stopped and said he wanted to continue the conversation. And you could just see the pride in this guy and to see him grow as a professional. And I also had a student who came into me, the former student came in for office hours about a year after I had her. And she is a student who didn't have a green card and was working, trying to get her work authorization and all that. And she had actually taken a semester off to 
save money that she needed for her classes. And she had a job offer through an internship with EY. So obviously a great offer. And she kept deferring when she was going to start with them because she hadn't finished her classes and she was headed into the summer semester. And there were classes she needed to take to graduate that she couldn't get into because they were overridden. And so she just didn't know what to do. And so, you know, we found who she needed to talk to so that she could actually get overrides for those classes that she needed to get, that she had been waiting listed on. And I helped connect her with folks from a financial side and that type of thing. And she's now a graduate who's been working at EY for about a year and and just doing wonderfully. And it really, from a lesson perspective, made me really focus on don't ever go it alone. And it's the lesson you need to learn in business when you're in business. You know, you're network and who you collaborate is is what's going to help you get and and be successful. So connect with your professors, connect with others early and often because everyone's here to help you succeed and help you to grow and expand. But you know, seeing her again go from a situation to somebody who I know is going to be a phenomenal alumni and just a really talented business professional and stuff, those are the stories that really get me. I'm sorry, I got stuck on this, but I absolutely love it that you had a student that was able to use their elevator pitch on an elevator. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was really neat. (laughs) And I think both of you alluded to the fact that there may be some introverted accounting students out there, and that just blows my mind that we have that. (laughs) I think I've run through that or run across that before. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you your thoughts on the upcoming, or the current, I guess, current and upcoming job market for soon-to-be grads, because we are in the pandemic situation now, and I know that's you know had an effect on the employment market. I've heard all kinds of stories with internships and entry-level positions and even staff-level positions, you know, the one- and two-year people. What are your thoughts on the upcoming market? How are people going to, or how are students going to have to adapt or what maybe recommendations would you have for how they can adapt for the market that we've entered into? Kent, you want to take that first? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I think some of what we're seeing today in the marketplace actually started even before the health scare. For example, the demographics of where our students were going with their accounting degrees had changed pretty significantly. I think if you go back five to 10 years, half of our accounting students were going to the larger public accounting firms. And what's happened is that rather, that's not the case even the last two or three years. I think the opportunities in the job market are much broader now so that rather than one firm hiring 20 students, you have 10 firms hiring two students, you know, if that makes sense. And so the lessons that we learned as that shift took place was, and I think Christine pointed this out as well, is building that network because you don't know where you're going to end up finding that connection that will lead to a job. And so promoting yourself in a marketplace where you're going to have to apply at 20 or 30 places to get the one job that you want is something that we've had to deal with now in the last couple of years. And I think it's even going to be more than that as we go through the pandemic and the consequences of the pandemic is that students are just going to have to be prepared to 
apply at many, many more firms and organizations than they may have thought they would need to do just to get that one connection that will lead to the job opportunity. That's number one. Number two, I think the way that you network and the way that you interview will change. We're, we're obviously seeing a lot less in-person contact. Um, and I think in the fall, when the recruiters come to DePaul for the fall recruiting session, I think almost all, I think all of them will be virtual interviews, whether they will be recorded interviews or in-person Zoom interviews. I don't think I, there's any firm or organization that I've heard that's recruiting is going to do anything in person. And so the students have to be comfortable dealing with the networking, getting to know people over the phone, getting to know people virtually, and then also interviewing in that same fashion. So one of the things that we've been doing in our career class is, like Christine said, with the mock interviews, we've actually been doing mock recorded interviews where the student will do a recorded interview with some prompts that we program into the session. And then as the instructor, I'll give them feedback on that recorded interview, not only in terms of the responses that they're giving to the questions, but their eye contact with the camera, the lighting that they're using, the sound, how they're dressed, all the things that a potential employer would see if they were looking at the screen. We're going to try and see those things in advance and make sure that if the student makes a mistake, they make it with us in a safe environment versus making it with a real employer when that could make the difference between whether they get an opportunity or not. So we've been shifting a lot more attention to that kind of interaction so that students get more and more comfortable with the virtual kind of platforms, if that helps. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I think it's great that you're advising them on things like lighting and audio because my personal feeling is is that we were all a lot more accepting of issues in that area the first month or so we sheltered in place. But the more the time that goes by, the more frustrating it gets when you can't see the person's face because it's so dark and all the lights behind them and and things like that just because we're having to, you know. Yeah. And it's so competitive that even though you might think, well, it's not such a big deal, if an interviewer is looking at 10 video interviews and has to rule some out, the lighting could end up being a play. The other thing that I think is not unusual with college students is their background. What <laughs> unmade beds, you know, clothing all <laughs> over the place, you know, all those things that just leave people with an impression one way or the other as to how these students conduct themselves. So, it's put a lot more weight, uh, if you will, on that type of skill set. Okay. Christine, do you have anything to add in that area, adaptations that soon-to-be graduates may have to make? Yeah, it's interesting because I was talking to one of my students today, and she was talking about how stressed everybody is and how stressful it is to be in this virtual environment. And I said, I think the biggest challenge you guys have as college students is to pivot your mindset to the positives. Yeah, there's so many positives that can come out of this. When are you able to show up for a job interview with jeans on? And as long as your top is is appropriate and you look professional, they can't see your jeans. Or if you're a person who has sweaty palms, you know, when you meet people, there are advantages. You can have your notes next to you, you know, physically place them so it looks like you're looking at your screen or what have you. You can put a sticker on your webcam so that you, you know, focus on your 
or next to your webcam so that you have smiley face right next to where you need to be staring so that you have that as a visual to look at. There's a lot of things that you can do that can make a positive impression. The person I was talking to today had done an internship for KPMG and she's hoping to get a full-time job. I'm like, did you get any job sheets from KPMG when you did that internship? Make sure they're in the room behind you when you do it. So you have the ability to brand yourself differently. So there's so many positives that they have. And I kind of point to everybody and I also tend to be a half glass, half full, you know, kind of looking for the positive, but it's to shift your mindset to not what you've lost, but what you've gained. And you're going to have to be much more purposeful. So where you could just tranche into a career fair and walk around and hope that your charisma was going to attract people. Now you have to be purposeful. You have to sign up for them. You have to be prepared with questions. You have to be prepared to distinguish yourself. But those are all positives to help you prepare and research companies and, and do different things. So really shifting it to the positive and also for this generation, they're known as being obviously very comfortable with technology and comfortable with texting people and stuff, getting them to get out of that mode and really get into, don't just connect with somebody on LinkedIn, reach out to them and say, hey, can we have a Zoom call? Can we meet in this face-to-face environment, even though it's, it's a virtual type of a thing? So being proactive with that and being really focused. But there are so many positives that really shifting your mindset to that positive and making sure you're prepared and thinking through that, I think is going to help them set themselves apart. Wonderful. I was just going to add, Christine, the point about the looking for the positive. The other thing that obviously is very important in any job search is building that network. And I think the point that Christine raised about going on LinkedIn and asking for a phone call or a Zoom call, I think that's a lot easier in this setting. In the past, if you wanted to try and actually meet with someone through LinkedIn, they always thought of it as a personal meeting, but and that would be much more inconvenient. But now that we're in an environment where people are in a position where they can make phone calls and Zoom calls a little bit easier, um, I think there's going to be more opportunity to have that personal connection than they may have had in the past. That's true. That's true. I love the comment, Christine, about the glasses half full versus empty. I remember this was just a couple semesters ago. I was doing a presentation at one of the local universities, and one of the students was, was asking me how to handle video interviews because they were concerned they only had three or two chances you know, to get it right. And I was thinking, wait a minute, you mean you have more than one chance to get the answer right? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, the response, because when you're in a live setting, it's not like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah definitely. That's very true. Good points for both of you. Well, I want to be respectful of y'all's time. And, and of course, we have a target, you know, time period we shoot for on these episodes as well. So I think I'm going to go to the questions at the end. I usually ask the same three questions of all our guests. I think I'm going to surprise y'all and, and tweak them a little bit based on what we're talking about. So first one, either either what's been your proudest moment? So a success story maybe regarding your career efforts with the students. Or if you've already shared that, what are your hopes and your goals in that area going forward? Whoever would like to go first. I'm happy to go first. So it's interesting when I was thinking about kind of proudest moment from an overall perspective, it it tended to go back to my life at Deloitte and when I was, I think, a senior manager, I got to develop a program. I was part of 
our national women's initiative team, and I got to launch a fellows program, which is still in existence today, that was in honor of the first woman to lead our women's initiative, and her name was Ellen Gabriel, and she had passed away from breast cancer. And it was a leadership development program which we did with Columbia University, where the fellows got to work with the CEO and the CFO and some strategic leaders at Deloitte. And we launched the program on September 10th of 2001, so um, in New York City. So it was a week-long program. Obviously, the second day of the program was 9-11, and, and it just became a huge event of trying to get our fellows safely back to, you know, where they came from in the midst of being in the middle of Manhattan, where, you know, the obviously devastation occurred. And we pivoted and we made the program work. We got everyone home safely. We did all that. And there's that element of being able to pivot and have a very successful program that, you know, all these years later is still going strong. We had involved her family. She had a young daughter at the time and her daughter said, my mom would have, even though she led our women's initiative, she would want the program to be for men and women. So we made it that in her honor and carried that out. And it was amazing to be able to be a part of a program like that, that had such a legacy component to it. And that produced people who are now partners of the firm and to see that whole evolution of them in their career. And I think that that was something that was, was huge. So you never know as an accountant, as a CPA, kind of what you're going to be able to be a part of and just kind of embracing that and getting able to do that. And the second thing, you know, I, I pivot to that I've already shared with regards to kind of seeing my students grow. But my daughter, who actually teaches second grade, so hits much younger students, somebody gave her a plaque to hang on our wall, which I thought was pretty cool and really helps to solidify why I do what I do. And it's really to build futures. And the quote on this little plaque was, I teach tomorrow's leaders. I'm kind of a big deal. And I think that that was something that was so profound to me from the perspective of being able to help somebody reach their maximum potential and be a future leader. It's kind of an overall kind of proud moment, but, but something that really has helped define why I do what I do from a teaching perspective. Wow. Okay, that sort of wasn't fair because it could be hard for Kent to follow that up. But <laughs> I'll let him yeah, try. I'm wishing I went first on that one. <laughs> so, but actually, Mark, the uh, timing of my proudest moment is very close to Christine. As I reflected on a moment that I can use as a launching pad for even what I'm doing today, I think about the move of my group from Arthur Anderson to Deloitte. And the fact of the matter is that we had 120 people in Chicago that worked in, Christine defined, the global mobility practice of Arthur Anderson. And all of them, <laughs> all the way from the most senior person down to the most junior person, everybody was worried about the situation that we were dealing with. And what we discovered at the time was that the relationships we had with each other, with our mentors, and with our clients all proved to be the keys to our successful continuation as a group. The fact that we ended up at Deloitte was certainly a blessing, but we did that because we had clients that wanted to continue working with us. We had people that had developed an expertise that was important to those clients, and we had a group that wanted to stick together. We had a recipe for a successful transition despite all the stress that was going on around us. And so I rolled the camera forward today, and the stress that the pandemic is creating the stress of the 
shrinking economy that's resulting from that. And I think about what made us successful then are also the recipe for people to be successful today in terms of continuing to build that skill set that's relevant to the marketplace. If you do that, there'll always be a market that wants those skills. Getting that mentorship and support that will allow people to see those skills and see what you're capable of doing and having relationships with others that make you feel good about the contributions that you're making. So everything that I thought was helpful back at that point in my career journey are all the things that I would hope the students in my class and the accounting graduates from George Mason and DePaul all consider now. I mean, they're all just as relevant in this environment as they would be in any other stressful environment. Very true. Very true. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you've learned the hard way and tell us a little bit about the situation because that's how we learn from these things. <laughs> Kent, I'll let you go first this time because we know what happens when Christine goes first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that bar gets really high. So I thought long and you shared this question ahead of time. And so I wanted, I thought long and hard about that because there's so many over the course of your career, there's so many lessons you learn and mistakes that you make. But one lesson that I learned really early in my career that's paid off time and time again. And I thought I would share that with you. I actually was a senior at Arthur Anderson and I was thinking about going to grad school at night for my master's degree but I was traveling an awful lot at the time because of the clients that I was involved in. I was on the road a fair amount. And I realized at that time that the two things were not compatible, that it would be difficult to continue my career at Anderson and also go for a graduate degree. So I started quietly looking for alternative jobs. I started interviewing and talking to other firms and companies in the Chicago area with the goal to reduce significantly my travel schedule. And I actually got to a point where I had a job offer and was really, really close to accepting the offer. And I happened to have a mentor at the time that I could confide in a little bit. And so I went to him and his first reaction was he scolded me. I mean, he actually turned the tables. I thought he would be sympathetic to my situation, but he actually said, Kent, why are you telling me this now? Why didn't you come to me before you started interviewing and let me know what the challenges were that you were facing so that we could try and accommodate those versus assuming that we wouldn't and just leaving on your own? And Basically, the way he ended that meeting are words that I'll never forget or had never forgotten for a long time, which is never leave anywhere until you've made your requirements known and seen how the organization responds to those requirements. Give them a chance to be responsive. And if you're a good performer and you're making a good contribution, maybe they won't meet it 100%, but maybe there's a halfway point that will work out for both of you, both the employer and yourself. And I wasted a lot of time interviewing and getting to a point where I was ready to leave and I could have avoided all of that if I had just known to do that. And I never made that mistake again over the course of the rest of my career. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. You're right. Because that one thing that you care about, if you're thinking about leaving somewhere else, you know, there's all kinds of other issues that, you know, maybe at the new place. Yeah, that's really good advice. What about you, Christine? A lesson you learned the hard way and then a little bit about the situation as well. 
Yeah. So when I kind of start to pick apart some of the challenges that I've seen over my career and stuff, it all had to do with my network. And was my network large enough to get to the right answer? So if I was stuck in a challenging client situation, did I have a big enough network to reach out to, to try out different scenarios and situations and that type of thing? Or if I was in a part of my job and that I didn't like a specific aspect of my job that I didn't like as much, did I have a broad enough network where I could navigate into another part? And I, you know, talked about, you know, having about four different roles within the way um, and able to do that and pivot when that was something that I was exposed to or doing that I didn't enjoy, didn't like, or what have you. Kent talked about being able to do audit and tax. And when I started, I was able to do both. And on the audit side, because I, I was in the tax department and kind of loaned to the audit department, I was auditing one of our clients and it was a company that I had to audit Scantron form and count little circles on papers and stuff. And I was like, this is not something that, <laughs> that I want to do the rest of my life when it comes to kind of a career and that type of thing. And so I was able to have those conversations and network my way outside of that. And so Every bad situation I had, it all came back to this kind of core of, do you have a broad enough network to get the right answers, to get the right feeling, to be able to navigate into a different area and that type of thing. So learning that early on in your career is so important and doing a great job regardless until you have that network and are able to shift a transition or what have you, or have the conversation like Kent said, of this is what's challenging for me, or this is what's frustrating for me, or this is what I don't know, and having somebody help you to navigate through that. It all comes down to network. Good point. Wow. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And and career advice or professional advice, whatever, parental advice, whatever. But what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Christine, you want to take this first? Sure. And this is where you're going to get a little bit on me because I probably have a couple of them. And I don't know, maybe that's about being an accountant and stuff. You always do more than you need to. But one piece that was given to me early on, which was so helpful, is no job is too small. So if you're given a stack, and this will date me very much, but when I came in as a brand new staff person, we Xeroxed a lot of stuff, right? We copied a lot of stuff and put it into client files and all that kind of good stuff. And you have people who that is below me, you know, and asked to be sitting here copying. And my attitude was, yeah, you did. <laughs> There's no job you're given that you shouldn't give your all to, and no job is too small for you to take it seriously and do something special with it and creative with it. So I think that was, was something that really transformed how I approached every single job that I was given. Um, Attitudes count more than achievements was another thing that I really focused on. And do I have the right attitude to kind of take this forward and, and do what I need to? Be the leader that you wish you had. So many times I've heard people say, I don't want to, I didn't have a good example of how to do it. Or, you know, my manager isn't doing what they should be doing and stuff like that. Well, you be the leader that you wish you had. And it's amazing how you can transform you know, everything that's going on. And I'll end just because of the, you know, kind of environment that we're living in right now. But years ago, somebody said to me, you know, don't pray for a better tomorrow live a better today. So be in the moment, be present with whatever you're doing, you know, take it seriously, and you can make tomorrow even better than today. Wow. She only gave me like eight or 10. So the bar, you know, once again, <laughs> it's a little high. <laughs> well, What's the best yeah. And, you've ever received? <laughs> 
Well, and again, just like Christine said, I, uh, Several things came to mind when I was thinking about this question. I'm a bumper sticker kind of guy in terms of phrases that I can turn to get me through a situation. And one phrase that always comes up and I think is particularly relevant, even especially in today's environment, is something somebody said to me. It says, if it doesn't scare you, it's not worth doing. And I think that that has proved to be true throughout my career in terms of giving up my first presentation in front of a large group, teaching my first class at DePaul, doing my first proposal with a big client. I mean, all of these things, you're so nervous about doing them, but the nervousness causes you to prepare even more and ultimately pays off in terms of, of success, maybe success, but certainly a lot, you know, something that's going to prove to be helpful for the rest of your career and the rest of your life. So that's one phrase that I think about a lot. And the other one is if you're going to make a mistake, never make it alone. <laughs> and the idea that you should always have somebody that is a sounding board to your thought process, whether you call that person a mentor, a friend, whatever you call that person. But if you're thinking about making a major decision or you're thinking about doing something you haven't done before, take advantage of the resources around you and work through those resources so that if at the end of the day, you don't achieve exactly what you would hope for, at least it wasn't because of just your own judgment, if you will, that you actually took the steps to try and get other people to weigh in on the steps you are taking. Wow. I like that. If you're going to make a mistake, don't make it alone. That really makes you think. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you both. I think this is going to be very helpful to a lot of people, particularly given the times we're in at the moment. But I think it's also universal. I think this is an episode we'll come back to hopefully a year, two, three down the road and and still get a lot of value out of. Thank you both for sharing your time. You were very generous. Thank you, Mark. It was a lot of fun and I appreciate the opportunity to do this with you and Christine. And I echo that. Thanks so much for for the opportunity. And again, if I know Kent and I probably feel exactly the same way. If we can be any help, find us on LinkedIn and happy to help out. Wonderful. Well, thank you both again. I really appreciate it. Well, that was my interview for this week with our two special guests, Kent Klaus from DePaul University and Christine Landall from George Mason University. I really appreciated them taking the time for this, but also I really appreciated them being so open and sharing the rather unique programs that they have going on. I know all universities try to assist the students in a variety of ways with getting their careers jump-started, but I found just some unique qualities about some of the programs that Christine and Kent mentioned on this show. I think there's a lot of value in them, and if you're in academia there again, I hope you came away with some ideas for your own institution, or if you're like most of our listeners and you're an accountant just continuing to try to build your career or maybe getting your career started. I hope you came away with a few ideas that you can implement on your own. Well, thank you again for joining us. This has been another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. If there's anything that I can personally do for you in your own career, please reach out. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. It's Mark Goldman, CPA. Very easy to find on LinkedIn. Well, thanks again. And until next time, we'll see you next week. There's more to come.